But again, just thank you for being here this morning, and uh, I appreciate um, all of you coming out on a beautiful Sunday morning when you could be up on Skyline Drive. But this, to me, is more important, and I'm glad you gathered today. So do you know it's just two weeks before Easter? That came up fast, it seemed. <laughs> but um, we are going to be talking and leading up to Easter service, we're going to be talking about Jesus, right? Because that's what you're supposed to do. But we're going to talk, I've been praying about this and thinking about um, what could we talk about before Easter? So I, I called this thing to the cross and we're going to be talking about what Jesus was like. Well, that's a pretty broad and statement, and it would probably take a long time for us to answer that. But we're going to look today um, about what Jesus was like before his ministry started. Now, if you've read the New Testament at all, there's not much about after Christmas, after the manger scene and all that stuff, there's not much mentioned about Jesus in between those years until his ministry when he started about the age of 30. But there's a lot we can glean from the word and from the time period because I think it's really important for us to understand the human side of Jesus in order to really appreciate the sacrifice that he made for us on Easter. I think we really need to understand because he was God in flesh. He, he, he had the same flesh that we did. So we're going to focus on that today. And I just want to just kind of just try to absorb this and just think through and, and meditate on this this week about Jesus and what he was like. And as we lead up to Easter, I, I feel you're going to have a different view of what he's done for, for all of us. That's my hope and that's what I pray for. Today we're going to look at his, at his uh, ministry, prior to his ministry. You know, Jesus was brought up by an ordinary couple. He said, well, they're not ordinary. We just read about Mary and Joseph and they make movies about, about them now and they're stars, but no, they weren't. They were ordinary people that God had given them um, the blessing of raising his son. But from that point of view and that time period, they were just ordinary, actually probably below um, ordinary people. They were just Mary and Joseph. There was nothing special about them. They didn't live in high-class society. In fact, they lived very far from the temple in Jerusalem. And Jesus grew up as a blue-collar worker. He worked with his hands. Mark, and uh, we know this because when Jesus was in his ministry and people were claiming how Jesus is doing all these awesome miracles, somebody said, well, who is this now? And they told him, he said, Mark 6, 3 said, then they scoffed, he's just a carpenter and the son of Mary. So that's, that's how he was viewed. You know, we know him through reading scripture and we... We have a different perspective, but back in real time, he was just the son of Mary and he was just a carpenter. So he had a job. Jesus had a job. He worked with his hands and he built stuff. Keep in mind that Jesus was fully man, so his labor would wear him out. And you picture Jesus walking through the door and just like, oh, I'm so tired. Better lay down. What a, what a rough day we had. This, this would be what he would do, honestly. He would get cuts and scars from the work that he did. He would bleed. He'd have calluses on his hands. He would get frustrated. If you've ever been in construction, that's a, that's a, yeah. 
He would get frustrated and, and probably a little bit angry at sometimes. He felt all the emotions. He was God in flesh, and he carried those things, and he knew that pain. Maybe he didn't feel like going to work one day. And Joseph's like, Jesus, come on, get up. The rooster crowed five hours ago. I don't want to go to work today. I'm too tired. I'm, I'm just trying to give you a realistic view of the human part of Jesus. He was stressed. I guaranteed he was stressed. I'm sure there were deadlines that they had to meet. And when he didn't get up in time, he had to rush and try to get something done for somebody, whatever trade he was in. His struggles and discomfort were real. He was God, but he was also flesh. He also experienced joy and sorrow and all those things, ups and downs, anger, all those things. He felt all those things that we all do. And there were plenty of building projects going on during this time because King Herod, that was his thing. He liked to build, and he rebuilt the temple. He spent almost 50 years doing that, and he also did a lot of other building projects around his kingdom during that time. So there was plenty of building going on. It was good if you were into building trades. So it would not surprise me at all if maybe Jesus and Joseph at one time traveled to Jerusalem, and Jesus actually worked on the temple that his father would dwell in. We always associate Jesus as a carpenter, but just to clarify, the Greek word in the, in the New Testament when they, when they were referred to him as a carpenter was tecton. And that word was derived, that's the word they used to derive carpenter, but tecton is actually used to derive words like tectonic and architect. So most scholars today would tell you that the more accurate term for Jesus' uh, um, employment was a builder. He was a builder. He said, well, that's kind of a slight difference from carpenter. Well, it is and it isn't. But keep in mind also that during that time, most of the building materials were rocks. They did not have a lot of trees there that they can cut down and use for wood. They still don't today in that area of Nazareth. So trees were hard to come by, so perhaps Jesus used stones. You'd say, why, why are you saying all this? Why does it matter? It doesn't really matter a whole lot, but it gives you a little bit more context of what he was working with, carrying stones and, and lining them up and doing all that work. And Jesus also referred many times as the cornerstone, and he used those as examples in his teachings and his parables. He had some familiarity with that. Jesus worked hard, like most of us, right? He helped pay the bills and support the family. He had an ordinary job. Isn't it weird to picture him that way, though? I mean, honestly, just you think Jesus goes to work, and he did this for probably 20-something years. We don't have any accounts of that, but he lived a life like we do. During this time, he was only known as the son of a builder. Just here comes Jesus and Joseph and maybe some others with them, and they're going to build me this wall or whatever it is. That's what they did. He lived in Nazareth, which was about three miles from a town called Zipporii. We talked about the building that Herod was doing in, Jeru in Jerusalem, but he was expanding this particular city. And there was a lot of building going on there. So that was probably about, you know, three miles from where he lived. So I'm sure they spent a lot of time working there together. Jesus labored for many years until he was about 30. And in the book of Matthew, there's an account of John the Baptist. He was sent ahead of Jesus to start proclaiming the Messiah was coming among them. Most of you know that story. You know who John the Baptist is, is basically his second cousin. And at 30 years of age, Jesus comes into the picture in the New Testament. After, of course, the uh, 
the birth, which was recorded as well. That's a long time to go from, he was probably about seven years old when he returned from Egypt, I think. So you're talking 23 years of no really record of Jesus, except we know that he labored and he was working hard. On this particular day, Jesus shows up in Matthew 3, 13 through 17, and it says this. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John, but John tried to talk him out of it. He said, I'm the one that needs to be baptized by you, he said, so why are you coming to me? John knew who Jesus was. Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. Let's just stop there. Jesus said, it should be done so we can carry out all that God requires. God asks us to be baptized. Jesus did not need to be baptized. He was already God in flesh. He did it as an example. He didn't want to be set apart. He didn't want to be like, you know, trying to think of the word. He didn't want to be like, I'm already God, so this isn't for me. I mean, you guys all need to do this. (laughs) I'm Jesus. So you're good. He didn't. He said, it should be done. I want you to baptize me because this is what my God asks everyone. And right now, I am everyone. I need to be everyone. So John agreed and he baptized him. That must have been the baptism of his life. After this baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and setting upon him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. Those are the first recorded words of Jesus and Matthew. And this is where things start. His ministry would now officially start. And we're going to talk about that next week. But before we get to his ministry, there's one more thing that he would need to do. After the baptism, we read this. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. We're going to talk about just how hungry he was. During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Jesus said to him, No, the Scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city of Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the Scriptures say, He will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot. And Jesus responded, The Scriptures also say, You must not test the Lord your God. And next the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will just kneel down and worship me. And then he says this, get out of here, Satan. You're bugging me. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away and the angels came and took care of Jesus. I don't know about you. I've read that a lot of different times in my life, that account. Maybe you have heard it or read it yourself. And it didn't take me long to read that, but there's 40 days and 40 nights involved in this. It's a quick read, but there's a lot going on. Jesus was hungry, 40 days without food. How did this affect him? I'm glad you asked. 
I read in a couple, I have a couple stats on exactly what this type of fasting would do to a person. And, and he didn't have to go through this. He didn't want to. This is what gets me about this whole thing. He didn't have to go through this, but I just lost my place. Sorry. Okay, sorry. From the British Medical Journal, um, there were several accounts that they had of hunger strikes that went between 21 to 40 days. They kept a count. And these strikes ended because the people that were um, doing those were threatened with severe life is issues. They were, they were about to die. If they did not stop what they were doing and put something in their stomach, they would die. That's going from 21 to 40 days. According to the Journal of Nutrition, men with a BMI less than 13 and women with a BMI less than 11 cannot sustain life. In other words, if you lose so much fat, at some point you're not going to be able to live. Once your body runs out of fat, well, we'll talk about that in a minute, um, you're just not going to be able to live. We need to eat. I'm good at eating. I'm not going to have that problem. <laughs> Once the body hasn't had access to food for 8 or 12 hours, your glucose storage is depleted. Your body will begin converting glycogen from your liver into glucose so it can survive. And after your glucose and glycogen are gone, your body will start to use amino acids to provide energy. And this process will affect your muscles and can carry your body along for about three days of starvation before you start starving. Before the metabolism makes major shifts to preserve the lean body tissue. To prevent excessive muscle loss, the body begins to rely on fat stores to create ketones for energy, a process known as ketosis. If you hear of a keto diet, that's kind of where they get this from. You will experience significant, by the way, I'm not a medical professional, so I uh, don't. Your experience, um, you, your experience may vary. You will experience significant weight loss during this time. One of the reasons women are able to sustain starvation longer than men is that their bodies have higher fat composition. Sorry, but it's just true. Females are also able to hold on to protein and lean muscle tissue better than males. The more fat stores available, the longer a person can typically survive during starvation. But once the fat stores have been completely metabolized, the body then reverts back to muscle breakdown. In other words, it starts eating your muscles. Your body starts going after whatever it can grab to keep itself alive. You begin to experience severe adverse symptoms, uh, symptoms during the stage of starvation when your body is using its own reserves for energy. A study in the British Medical Journal states that those undergoing a hunger strike would be monitored closely for severe side effects of starvation after losing 10% of their body weight. It also says very serious conditions occur when an individual loses 18% of their body weight. Some of those side effects from starvation include faintness, dizziness. Now keep in mind as I'm reading this, Jesus felt all of this. Faintness, dizziness, blood pressure drop, slowing heart rate, hypertension, weakness, dehydration, thyroid malfunction, abdominal pain, low potassium, Body temperature fluctuation, post-traumatic stress or depression. Yes, he would have felt this. Heart attack. I don't know. He could have. Organ failure. Those who experience starvation for a prolonged time can't begin to consume normal amounts of food right away. You can't just go from eating nothing to just devouring, you know, a, a Chick-fil-A sandwich. This message is sponsored by Chick-fil-A. 
The body needs to be very slow to eat. It's going to take a while. And during that time, here are some syndromes that can occur. Heart conditions definitely are going to have an impact. Neurological conditions will develop, will develop. Swelling of the body's tissue. Jesus was in a human body when he was tempted by the devil and when he fasted for 40 days for us. All these things he would have experienced. But, and here's what we really need to understand, he was also God, which means he could have stopped it at any time. He could have given in. He, he didn't even have to give in to what Satan was offering him because he knows who he was. You know, Satan's like, I'll give you the whole world. He's like, dude, I, my God, God's my father. I could take a universe if I wanted to. It wasn't about that, but the temptation, think about it. When you're in a state like that, when you're in a condition like that, I know some of you have treated patients probably that hurt like that, and you, you just get loopy. Jesus' physical mind in that point was, was in that condition. But he knew why he was put on this earth, and he knew it wasn't to end here. So why did he go through this? I believe Jesus wanted to completely understand the suffering that we have, that we have to endure, the things that we go through. He knew he would end up on the cross. He understood that. He knew that was the only way for us to be saved in order to be reconciled back to God. He felt everything that we would feel. He understood pain, temptation, weakness, and he understood starvation. It's important to point out that as soon as Jesus was baptized, he would be tempted right away. I think a lot of us can relate to this. Have you ever said the prayer ever, when you became a Christian for the first time or you started learning about God and right away there's something like the next day or the next hour that jumps up in your face and tries to pull you away from that? I'm, that's not coincidence, folks. Or maybe you've been struggling with something. It's like, oh, I just promise I won't do this one thing again, God. I know I keep saying that. But, uh, you know, and then, then it and then right away you're tempted to do that one thing again. The enemy's cunning, he's smart, he knows how to strategize, he knows when to get to you. He's not going to wait for you to go through weeks of, of making progress in something because you get stronger. He's going to attack you in the beginning and make you stumble and stumble and stumble, and then you're going to say, there's no point, just give up, I'm just going to keep doing this for the rest of my life. Jesus was tempted like this right from the beginning. He got dunked by John the Baptist, and God blessed him. And then he went into the wilderness for 40 days. I want to read this commentary. I'm going to wrap it up with this. Yeah, you're going to get done early today. You're welcome. It's a nice day. I want to read this commentary from the late Warren Wearsby. Listen to this. Listen to what he said. He said, Jesus was not tempted so that the father could learn anything about his son. In other words, God didn't test Jesus. This wasn't about that. For the Father had already given Jesus his divine approval on what he was doing. Jesus was tempted so that every creature in heaven, on earth, or under the earth might know that Jesus is the conqueror. He's different. He exposed Satan and his tactics. 
and he defeated Satan. Because of his victory, we can have victory over the tempter. tempter. Just as the first Adam met Satan, so the last Adam met the enemy. Adam met Satan in a beautiful garden, but Jesus met him in a terrible wilderness. Adam had everything he needed, but Jesus was hungry after 40 days of fasting. Adam lost the battle and plunged humanity into sin and death. But Jesus won the battle and he would defeat Satan in more battles, culminating in his final victory on the cross. Our Lord's experience of temptation prepared him to be our sympathetic priest. Our Savior felt everything that we did, that we would, and we had, and we, he had to do this in order to be the perfect sacrifice for us. He understood our pain. He understood everything, literally, because he went through it. And he didn't have to. He chose to do this. I can't even get through three days of fasting. And being honest, that's difficult. I couldn't imagine doing that, and that's, but that's just a piece of it. He did what Adam couldn't do. And I, and I love that analogy, and, and it makes sense, because the first thing the enemy did, again, as soon as Adam and Eve were there, the enemy pops up and say, okay, go eat that fruit. You're good. Right away, right in the beginning, the first couple God ever crafted was already being tempted by Satan, and, and they blew it big time. But they had everything available to them. They had, I don't know, we don't even know all the vegetables and fruits and whatever they had. I don't know. Maybe they had a Chick-fil-A there too. It's possible. But they had everything they could possibly want. And the enemy says, you know what? Take a bite of that. Just do it. If you do, you're going to be smart. You're going to be, you're going to understand a lot more about things. With this is this is what's different, so different from what Jesus had nothing. He was fasting. He had rocks and dirt where he was. He had nothing that he could fall back on. In other words, the enemy said, you know, I can turn these stones into bread. Jesus had nothing else to eat, so that was his only option, but he still declined it. Jesus had nothing where he was, and he kept refuting the devil's teasing. Today, I want you to know that he has felt every pain, both physical and emotion, emotional, that you or I have ever felt. Whatever you're going through right now, the Son of God knows because he chose to be like this. That's why they call him the sympathetic priest. He understands. Have you ever tried to explain something or explain a situation that you have in your life to somebody that just has no, under, no, no idea what you're talking about? And they'll be sympathetic, but they don't. It's better if you, if that's why they have group therapy, right? You get together with people that are, have common issues and you know that they know that you know what's going on. And they, and, and you feel a little bit better that they understand because they know the problem. Jesus is that way for us. He took on flesh to feel everything we have and understand who we are. He chose pain and suffering. He chose to put himself in a human body. He chose not to give in to temptation at the cost of almost giving up his life from it. 
He took on our pain and our sin, and eventually he will take it all to the cross with him. I want you to know today that Jesus can relate to your pain. Seriously, like nobody else. He can relate to your sorrow, to your grief, to your temptations, to your fear, to your anxiety, you name it. He knows, he's been there. He is the perfect one to be the sacrifice for all of us. This is why we can boldly come before him and trust him in all things. There is no other God like this. In all the made up gods that you've ever read about, none of them, none of them have ever in their fiction have done what Jesus did. Become you. He could have avoided all of this, but he saw you. At some point, Jesus saw your face. I trust in this. I believe in this. Some, some part of his suffering, he saw your face and he saw your pain and he said, you're worth it. Robert, you're worth it. Faye, you're worth it. Harry, everybody in here. Phil, you're worth it. He saw all of that. He saw your face and said, you're worth it. In an article I read this morning about an interview with the CEO of Delta Airlines about the impact of the pandemic, he said that people are ready to reclaim their lives. Not just to continue, but to reclaim. And I like that word, you know, reclaim means to retrieve or recover something previously lost or something previously paid. Jesus offers us the opportunity to reclaim our true identity. And who are we? Who are we? Children of God. That's what Easter's all about. That's what Jesus does for us. We have a chance to reclaim who we are because of him and only him. There is no, I don't care if there's no other way to get to heaven, folks. There's no other way to get to be back with Jesus. There's no other way to get in relationship with God. You cannot be good enough here on earth. You can say, well, I've never done anything wrong. Well, that's, that's your first lie then because you probably have. Jesus Christ is the only way because he was just like us in human form and he conquered and next week we're going to talk about his ministry and how all of those things that he did in ministry helped him prepare for the cross. He had to prepare. Remember, his, his body was human. Jesus had to prepare. Listen, I don't know where you're at today or how you're feeling. Maybe there are issues that you just think you're totally alone on and nobody knows about this, but if they found out, I'd be just mortified and I can't shake this and I, I don't know what to do. I'm telling you right now, we're going to pray. I'm telling you right now that Jesus knows. He sees your face and he understands. He understands my sin? Yes, he does. He understands what gets you there, the temptation that leads you there. He's been through the temptation. You're not alone. You are not unique. You are not unique. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and pray. And we're going to pray that the Lord just consume your thoughts this week. 
with images of his son taking on everything that you're burdening yourself with right now. Father, in Jesus' name, we just come to you today and we, and we seek you and we, and we look at ourselves and we look deep down in our hearts and those things that we're carrying. Um, Father, those, the stress, the worry, the sin, the anger, the frustration, all those things that are just bottled up. Father, your son took those to the cross for us already. Father, and we can give them over to you once and for all. Father, there's nothing we can do on this side of heaven that's going to erase all those things. But because of what your son did on this side of heaven, we have redemption from it all. I pray for those who think they're alone and they think that there's nobody that's going to understand them. Father, your son took it all already. They know your son has seen their face, Father. And Lord, I just pray that you just encourage us, encourage them that, that are struggling today, that, that they're not in this by themselves. Father, you, you sent the, your perfect sacrifice for all of us so that we can be reconciled back to you. And Father, you do not list anybody's name as an exception. We are all included in that. Father, I thank you for meeting us here this morning. And I, I pray that as we go today, that we just take, take this message with us, Father, and remember the humanity of your son when he was here, and he suffered just like we do with multiple things, Father, and, and Lord, he conquered everything, and he is our salvation, and Father, we love you for sending us your son. We can't even imagine making a decision like that in our humanity, Father, but you, as God of the universe, said, I want my children back. And here's the way it's going to go. Father, we just thank you and praise you for all that you're doing. And Lord, we pray as, as Easter approaches, Father, that people come back to you in, in ways that we can't even explain or imagine, not because of anything we do, Father, but just because you pour out your love to those. We, this world is in desperate need of more of your children coming back to you, Father. We are lost in many ways, Father, but there, are, there is a remnant here that still proclaims your son and you. And Lord, we will continue doing that. We will continue serving in our community, showing love to others, even when we don't feel like it, because that's what we're supposed to do. Lord, I thank you and praise you. And we love you, in Jesus' name.